1 Thessalonians, and we are in chapter 2 today, verses 13 to 16. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is the word of God. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance now to listen to you. And please make us good listeners. And please, as we hear what you're saying, um, would we be delighted to belong to Jesus and determined to cling to him. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians, and if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll have picked up some of the background uh, to this letter that Paul has written. If you've not been here for the last couple of weeks, um, the background to the letter that we're reading is this. Paul the Apostle arrived in Thessalonica, which is a town in modern-day Greece, and he came proclaiming the gospel about Jesus, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life through him, And as his was experienced in lots of the places where he came proclaiming the gospel about Jesus, he faced strong opposition. People absolutely hated what he said. How dare you tell me I need rescuing? How dare you tell me Jesus is the only way? But as he spoke about Jesus, a number of people from that town heard the gospel became Christians, uh, both Jewish people who realised that Jesus really was the Messiah, and non-Jews who turned from their idols to worship the living God. And so you've got this church full of baby Christians started. Uh, As soon as they became Christians, they started to face the same hostility that Paul had faced. If you have a look very briefly at chapter 1, verse 6, Paul reminds them that you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. So we've got this tiny baby church, church full of baby Christians who have chosen to stand with Jesus and take all the opposition and flack and persecution and abuse that comes with standing next to, with Jesus and from strangers, from neighbours, from colleagues, from friends, from family even. But then after Paul's been with them only for a matter of weeks, perhaps as few as three weeks... He is forced to leave by an angry mob. He's driven out. And so now we've got a very, very small church full of baby Christians coming under heavy fire from the outside world. And they no longer have Paul with them, the apostle. And they no longer have anyone with them who's been a Christian longer than a few weeks. Doesn't this seem like a really, really fragile, precarious situation that Paul's writing into? You can imagine Paul miles away anxiously wondering how long will it be before these baby Christians decide they don't want to put up with the suffering they're facing and they give up on Jesus altogether? Or how long will it be before they start to wonder if they really are God's people? 
How can I be God's people if I'm being treated this badly? Or how long will it be before they start to wonder whether Paul's a con man or a lunatic and maybe the gospel about Jesus is just a fairy tale? And so you can imagine Paul miles away, sick with worry about the Thessalonians, on his knees praying for them constantly. And eventually he can't take it. We, we hear at the start of chapter 3 of 1, Thessal- two Thess- 1 Thessalonians that he sends Timothy, his co-worker. He can't, he can't cope. He sends Timothy, his co-worker, to find out how are these Christians doing. Timothy comes back and says, good news, they're doing really well. They're sticking with Jesus even though it's costly. And then overflowing with relief and joy and thanksgiving, Paul picks up his pen and writes this letter to them saying, you're doing so well, keep going, it will be worth it. And in this small section, we're looking at just three verses, um, Paul wants to encourage and reassure these Christians in two ways. And those two ways will be our two points. Um, Point one, you are the real deal. You are genuine Christians, chosen by God, keep going. And point two, you are on the right side of history. You're on God's side. You're being saved for eternity. Your enemies are his enemies. Keep going. All of us who are followers of Jesus will have to keep on making the decision to keep going with Jesus Uh, Sometimes that decision might be particularly difficult. Following Jesus is hard, especially when colleagues, neighbours, family even, give us a really hard time or or cut us out or worse because we follow Jesus. When we lived in Cambridge, we knew a teenager who tried to gently be open about what she believed uh, with with her friends about her faith in Jesus. And her whole friendship group turned around and said, sorry, we can't be friends with you anymore because you believe that. We know people who've had their, friendship, their relationships with their parents just completely disintegrated because their parents were so opposed to their children being Christians. Following Jesus is costly. And so we need encouragement to keep going or to prepare us for when it gets really hard. And so to the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago, And to us today, God is saying, keep going. You are the real deal. And keep going. You are on the right side of history. And so let's start with point one. And you are the real deal. Have you ever wondered um, whether you are actually a real Christian? Um, How do I know I'm genuinely someone God's chosen to save for eternity. I I think that's not an uncommon question people ask, especially if their experience of the Christian life isn't what they'd expected. Um, Well, listen to Paul's answer to that question in verse 13. Uh, We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. And what marks out a genuine believer? Well, here Paul says they receive God's words as God's words and not as human invention. Paul says 
you guys are the real deal because when you heard the words of the living God, you recognised them and believed them as the words of the living God. I'm sure lots of us have spoken to people who say something like, look, I like lots of what the Bible says, but I don't like all of what the Bible says. You know, love your neighbour as yourself. Oh, I love that. That's great. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not sure I like that very much. Well, to do that is to treat what God said as if it's something invented by human beings, which we're allowed to weigh and test and evaluate and judge. And if we like it, embrace it. But if we don't like it, dismiss it. Uh, That is not treating God's word as if it's the authoritative word of the living God. But that is what Paul says marks out genuine believers. Verse 13 again. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. I've got a friend who grew up as a Hindu, and he realized when he heard the gospel that Jesus wasn't just someone he could add to his plethora of gods and worship along with the others. Jesus says, I am the way. And so he knew he had to turn from idols and serve the living and true God, just like the Christians in Thessalonica did. And that is treating God's words as God's words, and not just merely human words. It may come to us on the lips of human beings, it did for that church in Thessalonica, but though it was Paul preaching to them, it was God's words they heard. Each of us who's a Christian will have our own story of how we came to know Jesus. It might not be as simple as you woke up one day as an, as an atheist, you met a Christian, they told you the gospel, you went to bed as a Christian. It might not be quite that straightforward. But um, for each one of us, if we can think back to a time when we heard God's convicting and calling words, and we recognised it as the authoritative word of God, and obeyed it and believed it, And if that's still our attitude, then we can know with real assurance, as the Thessalonians could, that we are the real deal, authentic, genuine Christians who've been saved by God for eternal life with him. If you're someone who considers yourself thinking about Christian things or you consider the Christian message something that invented by by human beings we're free to kind of judge it and weigh it please can I urge you to reconsider because the book that we've got in our hands on our chairs um, is not a fabrication from people but revelation from the living God about his son Jesus who's coming soon to save his people and judge his enemies and to those who are ignoring that message Paul says listen And to those who've heard and listened and turned to Jesus, Paul says, you are the real deal. Keep going. And well, that is all very well, one might think. But why then is being a Christian so hard? Why do my colleagues treat me differently? Why do I feel like an outsider in my own family? Why have my friends abandoned me? And surely this can't be right for the chosen people of the living God. I must be doing something wrong. You can understand why that might be something someone thinks. And well, Paul doesn't stop there in trying to reassure these Christians they're the real deal. You're the real deal because you've believed God's word as God's word. 
but also because you have suffered for the gospel. And can we look, please, at the end of verse 13, where Paul says that the word which they received is at work in you who believed. Um, Now, I reckon there are all sorts of things that it looks like for God's word to be at work in his people. But I was really surprised at what Paul has in mind here. Can we have a look at verse 14? This is not what I expected. Verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed our Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. This young and troubled church clinging on to Jesus, how does Paul assure them that they're genuine Christians in whom God is at work? Well, by saying to them that your experience of suffering, though difficult, is not unusual, rather it is expected. He's saying, don't let the hardships you're facing for the gospel make you doubt whether you really can be God's chosen and favoured people. In fact, know that the hardships show that you really are. And what you are going through, Paul's telling them, is what Christians all over the world are going through, the churches in Judea, and what Jesus himself faced. We'll know that Jesus was rejected by the people that he'd made, murdered on a cross by the people he'd come to save, People who follow the risen Jesus right from day one were rejected and opposed by the world just like Jesus was, cast out, rejected, beaten, killed. And Paul, writing this letter, who proclaimed the message about Jesus, was brutally opposed. And he says to this young church, don't be surprised or startled that that is your experience too. And certainly don't doubt whether you're a real Christian because you suffer for the gospel. On the contrary, he says, be assured that God's word really is at work in you because you suffer for the gospel. Don't give up because it's hard. The fact that it's hard is a sign that you are the real deal. Keep going because you're doing so well. That is Paul's message to this baby church. We're not in an identical situation to them, but I I hope it's beginning to be clear how this applies to us. Um, If this evening you can think of ways in which you are coming up against hostility because of your faith in Jesus, and that may be at work, that might be at home, that might be with family, that might be wherever that may be, I want to say to you, please don't be disheartened, but encouraged. It, It is horrible, and pray that God might end whatever hardship you're facing for the gospel. But I hope you'll be able to read these words and give thanks like Paul is able to give thanks, not for the hardship and the suffering, but for the living and persevering faith which they signal. Horrible though though it may be, do take comfort in the knowledge that you're joining a long line of faithful Christians who, in plugging away for Jesus, have been mistreated by the world. Please know it doesn't mean you're unusual or doing something wrong. It's just how God's people are often treated. True for these Thessalonians, true for Paul, 
true for Jesus himself, and perhaps true for us right now, probably true for us in the future. And it's worth saying at this point that I remember a friend of mine who, at about age 19, looked back at a number of unpleasant comments he'd received um, from people and reflected that I'm not 100% sure they were offended by the gospel. They might just have been offended by the fact I was behaving like a total prat. Um, Even if you're not behaving like a hot-headed teenage boy, but gently loving and living out the Christian life and speaking about Jesus, when people will take offence and may mistreat you, it'll be tempting for us to keep our heads down or to adjust what we say we believe to make it more palatable and to avoid the hostility that the gospel brings. But I, I don't think we need to do that. I think these verses tell us that hardships for the gospel are not signs that things are going wrong, but a sign that God's work is indeed at work in us. Keep going. You are the real deal, Paul says. Well, point two is a little bit shorter than point one, but related, and if you like writing things down, this is point two, keep going. You are on the right side of history. Um, Whether it's women's suffrage, the abolition of slavery, or the civil rights movement, the people involved in those campaigns made costly sacrifices. Some even died for their causes, and they did so because they were absolutely convinced that they were on the right side of history. I think Martin Luther King, um, who was assassinated for promoting racial equality, um, said this before he was killed, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I guess he was saying, look, I might not see the day where I'm vindicated, but it will come. Um, He was sure he was on the right side of history, and so he made costly sacrifices for his cause. To the Christian who says, look, fine, I believe I'm a real Christian, but how can sticking with Jesus actually be worth it? His enemies seem to be on top, and following him is miserable. Well, to that person, Paul says, look, make no mistake, you are certainly on the right side of history now and into eternity. He's already said bits and pieces of that in the letter. In 1 verse 10, he tells them that Jesus saves them from the coming wrath. In 2 verse 12, he tells them that they've been called into God's kingdom and into his glory. But he drives the point home a little bit further here in this passage by speaking about God's enemies, the ones who persecute the church and oppose God's plans to save. Can you listen to what he says about them in verse 15? Uh, They're on page 1187 at the top. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their attempt, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. These Thessalonian Christians are under fire from people who hate Jesus and oppose the gospel. How tempting it would have been just to give up. But Paul reminds them those people are God's enemies. They're trying to thwart his plans to save people for eternity. And in doing so, they are bringing judgment upon themselves. Verse 16 is a little bit tricky when it says that the people opposing the gospel 
have brought God's wrath on them already. Um, I think that means one of two things. Either it could be a sort of, like in Romans 1, when God hands people over to their sinful desires as an act of judgment. Or it could just mean that their opposition to God's plans to save have completely secured and sealed their future judgment. Whichever it is, clearly, the people that he's talking about, they're God's enemies, they're on the wrong side of history. Uh, So Paul is saying, look, I know following Jesus is hard, but think about the big picture. Remember whose side you're on. You're with the living God, and you're with the risen, reigning Jesus. What can your enemies really do? And think about the eternal picture. You're being saved for a new creation, God's enemies are going to be judged and destroyed. Keep going, Paul says. It will be hard. But you are most certainly on the right side of history. You might not see the day when you're vindicated in this life. But Jesus is coming to save his people. To judge his enemies. And it would be a very short-sighted thing to give up on Jesus. And look, what's true for them is true for us. Even though the world is screaming at us that the Bible's teaching is outdated and irrelevant, we're told we're on the wrong side of history. And if we're with the true and living gods, that is wrong, isn't it? We are most certainly on the right side of history. And it is those who oppose him and us who are not. It means that when we see persecution of Christians around the world, we we grieve for our brothers and sisters, we pray for them, and we can know that there will be justice for North Korean Christians who are imprisoned for owning a Bible, and there will be judgment brought on militant groups who kill Christians in North Africa, and we can pray for those brothers and sisters that they'd know that too. And that they'd be strengthened to keep going, knowing they're secure for eternity and on the right side of history. And it means that when hostility does come our way, and for some that might be right now, for some that might be in the future, we can be sure that, miserable though it may be, we are with the God of the universe. He is coming to judge his enemies and save his people. There is no better thing than to keep going with Jesus. And keep going, Paul says, you are the real deal. Keep going. You are on the right side of history. Shall I pray? Lord God, thank you very much for this letter. Thank you for the encouragement to keep going with Jesus. Thank you for the the honesty and the clarity with which you speak in these words. Please, in your kindness, would we be so assured of our um, security with you and our salvation in eternity that whatever comes our way, we are determined to cling to Jesus. Amen.